questions that you're holding on to, but any quick clarifying ones? Let's move on then to Rondi Elliott as our final panelist. Okay, thanks, Dilip. Um, I did this in a little bit different way. I kind of um, limited my ethical issues to issues that I see that we face in this country rather than taking a more global uh, approach like most of the other panelists have done. And um, I started with the issue that for me personally is very uh, important. And one reason it's important to me, this is the one um, about the treatment of animals, the horrendous suffering that they go through um, in the name of corporate corporations and business in the United States. Um, the reason that I chose this was that uh, Gandhi said that you can judge the morality of a society by the way it treats its animals. And that may be a stretch, but I think it's very important. And I think that the things we are doing to these creatures are so horrible and so horrendous, so immoral, so awful in every area. The most egregious, I think, is probably factory farming, what creatures endure on factory farms, but canned hunts. Do you all know what canned hunts are, where they put animals in a, a fenced-in area, usually old, sick, worn-out animals, and men pay lots and lots of money, men and women pay lots and lots of money to go and shoot these animals who have nowhere to go. Um, the use of animals in research, uh, the use of them in entertainment, rodeos, and so forth, all of these things are, are unnecessary. Everything in every area of the use of animals are largely unnecessary, and many people would disagree with me. I see some head shaking, but, but it's not necessary for food, not necessary even for research in most cases. So that was my first issue. I'm going to name the three issues that I picked and then go back and talk about the ways that I think maybe people can, can act as individuals to make a difference. So the second item that I identified was one that nobody else has has done and I thought gee I'm the last person on the panel everybody's gonna steal my my issues you know I'll get down here to me and I'll, I won't have anything new to say but the second one that I uh, identified was for me uh, it's very important is corporate dishonesty and greed in this country and it's easy to talk about it as corporate dishonesty because it's hard to blame anybody when you're talking about a corporation same with animal treatment. These things are all done under the name of very large businesses, large money-making schemes. And in businesses, it's, you know, what used to be, there used to be years ago something they called the divine right of kings, and now it seems to me to be the divine right of CEOs and CFOs, you know, these obscene salaries that they make. And, um, and we can't I have a harder time thinking of a way to, to deal with this, but I do think this is a, a very important ethical issue in our society today because it seems to be indigenous. It seems to be the only ones we hear about are the ones that get exposed. When the scandal comes out, we hear about them, but, but I'm sure that for every one scandal that we, we identify, there's many, many more that we never do. And the third issue for me was the exploitation of the poor and powerless. And this is juxtaposes nicely with what Vivian said about the worth of the individual. I think the, the way that large businesses, uh, large corporations and outfits exploit the poor is, is just, you know, it's unconscionable. And all of the things that I thought about, I realized in the end that they all really are related to each other because in slaughterhouses, for example, in large laboratories and, and other places that 
that um, exploit animals and torture them, they hire the poorest of the poor to work in these places. Only, you know, immigrants, people with, with next to nothing in terms of income will work or can work in a, in a slaughterhouse. Those are the kind of people that, that are working there. And, um, of course, corporations exploiting the poor, McDonald's case in point, um, you know, the CEOs, the, the big guys making lots and lots of money and paying the people who actually do the work not a living wage. So those are my, my three issues, and in terms of animal issues, I think that's probably the easiest one for an individual to actually be able to do something, because you don't have to buy the products. And um, you can speak out, it's easy to speak out, you can go carry signs, you can go educate people, and education is the crux of this issue, because I don't think that Americans are um, is essentially um, in, in um, not compassionate. I think that they are, they just don't know. So, um, and the other thing you can do is vote for legislators who are compassionate in their record, and there are several of those in both the state and, and national level. Now, the other two things, corporate dishonesty and the exploitation of the poor, much easier to identify the problem than to, to talk about the solution. And I'm hoping maybe some of you out there will be able to think of some ways that we as individuals, some way that we can affect uh, corporate uh, dishonesty in the exploitation of the poor. Okay, thank you, Rondi. Um, if I could summarize uh, imperfectly Rondi's perspective, her three points are that uh, the biggest issues are our treatment of animals, uh, corporate dishonesty and greed, and exploitation of the poor and dispossessed. Uh, the second two are really difficult issues, and she uh, is looking for uh, other people to help with answers, but she she feels that the first issue is really easy and the ways to uh, improve the treatment of animals is our own personal actions, become vegetarian, vote for compassion, basically. I, is, uh, is that a decent yeah, summary? Yeah, because I think we can have a, an effect in that area, but um, the other areas are much harder to see how we could do something as an individual in society. Because, you know, you can say don't vote for people, but when the politicians are willing to, to also be dishonest, then any quick clarifying questions? And in a minute, we'll have longer questions. If not, let me uh, do my overall summary, and then we'll throw it open to questions. Uh, I always love these panels, and I learn so much from uh, everybody on the panel is, is so wise and has so much, uh, such interesting perspectives. And in a minute, we'll uh, recognize how wise the, the audience is as well. But um, I always find some commonality, and in today's discussion, I found three areas of tremendous commonality. I think almost all the panelists touched on um, treating others the way you'd want to be treated, living together, holism. So for example, Ralph talked about respect and how that's key for, for living one's life. Uh, Ron talked about the environment and how you know, that's uh, critical for our, our moving forward. Um, Mike talked about, uh, you know, do we create life and how do we treat other, other life forms? Well, two, two, that was one, and what to do with genetic information. Okay, what to do with genetic information. So, um, and of course, that's very important for treating others, how you, how you treat other people. Uh, Rondi talked about treating animals. Vivian talked about the individual worth. So I think almost everybody had something to say about holism and living together. Uh, about half the panelists implicitly or explicitly talked about the environment, especially Ron and, uh, and Barbara, certainly. Um, and then also kind of under the covers, I felt most of the panelists talked about economic uh, injustice, uh, 
Uh, Barbara talked about materialism. Just because you can afford something doesn't mean you should perhaps uh, purchase it. Mike talked about genetic engineering and the economic implication of that. Rondi very explicitly talked about corporate greed and, and uh, poverty and exploitation, and, and Vivian also talked about poverty. So I found those commonalities, and I also found some, some areas that we could m work in. Um, there was a lot of uh, concept, a lot of discussion of the power of information and education and how that can really make a change. Education, shining a light on problems as a first step. I think everybody, uh, their comments circled around compassion, trying to see the other side and be compassionate. Um, ask intelligent questions, be self-informed, which is tied into education. Um, and then some, uh, and, and others I think implicitly talked about the power of the political process or the, the importance of engagement and not being agnostic, but taking a point of view and, and letting others know what the point of view is and trying to make change. So those are some commonalities I saw in the panel. I'd like to um, throw it open, it's about 20 after 9, for about 10 minutes till about 9.30. and. Uh, and see uh, what questions you have. And we'll repeat, uh, I'll repeat the question and then we'll, we'll start some dialogue. So, so who has some questions on some of the issues that were raised tonight? Yes. Well, <clears throat> one thing that I can't resolve in my own mind is uh, uh, while thinking about 9-11 of people that are trying to, to kill, to kill uh, other people, here in the United States, like what happened in 9-11. I understand from reading the picture that it's likely to happen again. And I'm just wondering how, uh, how we can avoid, avert that by education, uh, which is a long-term process. So what, what steps could we take to avert, avert this tragedy happening again uh, without, without exerting some kind of force, number one? Number two, it seems like an overriding problem here is overpopulation because uh, that kind of shadows all other environmental problems. The, 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 the scarcity of resources is going to become more and more acute, and as the population increases asymptotically, we're going to have more poverty, more, more degradation of the environment, and so forth and so on. So that seems to be a major problem. So these are the two two issues that stick in my mind. Okay, let me rephrase. So Manny is asking the question, you know, it's okay to be compassionate towards others, but how do you treat those who won't be compassionate to us? How do you deal with violence? And the second aspect is how do we deal with our degrading environment? Is that a fair kind of summary? Overpopulation. Overpopulation. And I thought we might ask both Ralph and Vivian to take that. Uh, Ralph talked about choices and how we respect others and, their, and, uh, and try to live together. And, and Vivian talked a lot about compassion and, and nonviolence as well. So perhaps the two of you and then others who also have thoughts may. Well, I, I think responding to 9-11 really presents a major uh, ethical dilemma. Uh, because you clearly have an enemy uh, that wants to destroy you. Uh, and as I said, my first choice was, was life. Uh, so clearly you want to prevent such attacks. Uh, and that's why we have a lot of security measures that we do have. Uh, I think it's very important to educate your security personnel so that they treat everyone with respect. 
um, and with some degree of decency, even though they have to uh, check them out and, and maybe even suspect them. Uh, the second issue of population control, I will point out that the, what we call the Western nations have pretty much brought population growth under control. Most of the European countries, the United States, have either a negative uh, birth rate or a staying even. The United States population grows mostly through immigration. Uh, so it would seem that by developing your country, educating your people, giving people opportunities, um, and ensuring that the children are going to live, that this sort of automatically uh, enables people to put some brakes on population growth. Vivian? Yeah. First, first of all, I, I think we have to realize there's no one out there to destroy us. There are acts of violence perpetrated against us. 9-11 was this horrific example. But that doesn't mean that there are forces out there that want to destroy the U.S. We are our own worst enemy. We must look at ourselves and reform our foreign policies, our, our relations with other nations. Uh, what business do we have to extend the war with Afghanistan by going into Pakistan? What business do we have going into the sphere of Russia when we know we regard our hemisphere as ours. And if they were to come here and make a treaty with Canada or some country in Central or South America, we would be enraged. We would be very frightened. What business do we have setting up 750 bases around the world what is it that we are so afraid of that we have over a million of our troops at these different bases, over 750? We must look at the moat in our own eye before we begin saying we see it in their eyes. We have never had a national discussion of why were we attacked on 9-11-01. What was it that these people had uh, uh, such, uh, why was it they had such anger against us? We need to become a friend of other nations. We need to stop our militaristic approach. We need to stop our desire for empire. And this isn't only just now. If you were to read Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States, You'd learn things that I didn't learn when I was growing up in school. I, uh, what happened when our first explorers from Europe came and discovered uh, the area we now call the United States and Cuba? What happened to the natives? What did we do to them? What did we do during slavery days? What did we do with other wars? Uh, the Spanish-American War. Just in recent history, 
war in Panama, war in Grenada, war in Vietnam. Um, what, what is it that drives us to such fear? We are so afraid. We are, it almost borders on a national paranoia. Why don't we start out by using some of our resources instead of this uh, uh, overwhelming military budget? Our military budget exceeds the total of all the industrialized countries combined. That's our military budget. Why don't we decrease our military budget, use the monies to work on our own domestic problems, and then go and relieve suffering around the world? There's no reason for starvation in other countries. There's no reason for lack of education. We have so much we can offer and give. There's no reason for ill health, diseases that have been been conquered to continue in developing countries. We have to exercise goodwill toward others. And then, really, I think it would so reduce the fears, the imagined fears. These are not based on reality. Let me ask, uh, Barbara already kind of answered the question in terms of overpopulation. Maybe she could briefly we address that and then we'll take a second question. Okay. Um, you mentioned about population in the United States. Population is actually going down except for immigration. But in the Western or in Europe, of course, the population is dwindling, it's actually reducing the numbers. But the other countries like Africa and Asia, the population is growing. But the problem is with the people in the developed countries, they use just so much more resources. So even if the population in those countries are going down, the resources are exponential. So, you know, you have to reduce the population everywhere, not just in the, in the um, underdeveloped countries. So that's one thing. And I want to say Yahoo to Vivian for what you were just talking about with uh, why, this is uh, different, but why were we attacked in 9-11? In um, and I'm just going to make one comment about that, is when you, you have to ask why, and, and a lot of my Arab friends will tell you that it's because of Israel. And there's a whole different issue there I'm not going to get into. But you have to ask why and then try to address the issues of what they were doing, and not just Israel, but our whole Western society. Hugh has had his hand up patiently for a while, so Hugh. Yeah, um, so my, and, uh, you know, the, uh, genetic research progress can open up all kinds of uh, really interesting ones. But I would disagree that government should not be involved. Uh, and because uh, the eventual, because of all these uh, enhancements that take place, anything from looks to health, intelligence, which are going to give the people who have always gotten the benefit from these, or primarily the benefit, the, the bulk of the benefit, uh, the advantages that they currently have in education and health because of their financial affluence. So what's going to happen in the genetic realm it's the same thing. So the people with money and the wherewithal are going to be able to take advantage of these 
enhancements, which will give them even more of a competitive edge. Well, the people who are not able to employ them are going to be left behind again. I mean, that's been the class structure of our society. So it's not going to change unless government intervenes to make sure that everybody gets an opportunity. So if I could. If I could bring your question to a point, I believe Hugh's question is he's uh, addressing uh, genetic uh, engineering and he's arguing that perhaps it should be controlled and it should not be an instrument to increase the divide between the haves and have-nots. So I thought maybe, obviously Mike would be a good person to address this because it directly imp imp uh, impacts on what you talked about, as well as Rondi, Rondi in terms of talking about um, the dispossessed and uh, how, even though you didn't talk about genetic uh, engineering, how programs that some may, may benefit some, how can we make sure that it helps all? Maybe the two of you could address that briefly. We're getting close to 9.30, so we could be, yeah. well, what could I, be good. I wanted to see, what I didn't want to see is the government having an active role in modifying its population, a la Hitler or the, something like that. Now, perhaps you should have regulation uh, if you look at China, where it is a free enterprise system, there are some areas where two-thirds of the kids are male now because the sex selection is oh, oh, mostly for to have male babies. How that's going to affect the country? There was an article in Nature a while ago saying if you had more males and females, you'll have a warlike society. Very interesting. But back to should people be allowed to do it? Well, that's something that happens when you give everybody unfettered opportunity to do this. So this, that's a very complicated question. Um, but I don't want to see the government saying everybody should have blonde hair or blue eyes. Now, of course, there are, government does things for eradicating genetic disease. You know, they, they screen for a, a lot of diseases when you're a baby, and that's probably good. <laughs> Sickle cell and, uh, and other ones, they can screen for that. And that's knowledge. I think knowledge is power. And I think we shouldn't suppress knowledge. But that's a, that's a complicated question about uh, how much should people be allowed, how much the government should try to restrain if everybody wants a boy. It's a good one. Not on that particularly, but um, as people were talking, I was feeling that we as a society have lost our sense of ethics and morality because our, our bottom line is money. And the choices are made based on that in almost every one of these realms. If you really look at it and you really take it down, the, the um, choices are made based on money and not on compassion, not on ethics, not on morality. Mm -hmm. uh, but like Vivian said, alluded to in her first um, discussion, I feel that we should be optimistic because I do think that right overcomes might. We have a terrible history in this country of might and, and, and horrible things that we've done to other people. Um, but but um, I do think that right in the end wins out. Case in point, civil rights. 60 years ago, nobody would have ever dreamed that African Americans would be where they are today, you know, and, and uh, many other things like that. So. I just felt like I would like to end that on a positive, optimistic note, because I think we do have room for that. And finally, I think Vivian has a quick uh, response, and then maybe we'll take a very the second, the second part of Manny's question had to do with population uh, growth. And um, are you aware that there are uh, people in our country 
who are saying right now, today, uh, let's do away with contraception. Uh, we know that there are people who are against uh, abortion rights for women, a woman's right to choose. But there's a new threat. The new threat is do away with contraception. Here we are concerned about population control, and there are people out there uh, who uh, would not allow us to have the right to prevent having a child. I read in today's New York Times, there's a big social revolution going on in Chile. The young teenagers, our 14-year-olds, are very open in their sexual behavior. And these are multitudes of kids. But the article went on to say, there's very little information being given out about contrace contraception. We have this debate going on in our public schools. Should we teach? how to prevent having a pregnancy, having a child. And again, this is something within our control. Um, industrialized countries have seen population growth go down. The United States has a diminished population. France, the European countries, and this is where women have the right to uh, work. Um, there is a right to abortion there is a right to contraception. And these are factors that have to be uh, reckoned with. One reason I love these annual events is all these issues are so complex and uh, some of the issues that were just raised that some of the panelists have argued so strongly on one side, we've actually had panelists argue extremely <laughs> strongly on the other side too. So uh, as with, you know, uh, ethics is a, is a very complex topic and, and people have uh, many different perspectives. Um, if somebody has a burning last question, it's 9.36, there's opportunity after we break to continue, uh, but if somebody has an important brief question, uh, Olin. I don't know if I can make an important brief question. Let's see how fast I can say this. The problem we're up against is the continuity of one side of the potential of human culture that goes back to the whole tradition of mammals, particularly primates, have these alpha type personalities dominating, getting troops together instead of people to work the fields or build the cities. And this thing has gone back and forth with various kinds of controls. You get economy in it, but now as you can see right now, the economy is totally a political force issue as far as the Republicans are concerned. Now, this whole type A culture, this alpha culture, has no clear model challenging it. But there is a potentially clear model that could challenge it, but it involves drastic revolutionary change of consciousness and huge efforts to make that change of consciousness spread. It has to do with what I call the Omega Soup paradigm, and, and can, I, can I interrupt you? Because it sounds like you have a very interesting topic, but it may take a while. But may, may, I extract, may I extract from what you said and pose a question to the panel? The question that I think you're trying to ask is, how do we sometimes apply ethics against what may be human nature, for example, power hierarchies? Can that be a short? human nature possibility that nobody has defined well. Okay. And I think there's a way of defining it, and I'd like to find out if there's anybody in this room that's interested in how that definition might be 
Well, let me propose two things. It sounds like, uh, as usual, you have a very rich and very important uh, topic you'd like to discuss, and I invite after the uh, panel ends to have some individual discussions. But I'd like to abstract from what you've said and maybe ask each panelist to take a minute. <laughs> How can you apply ethical concerns sometimes to check, better, check human nature when human nature may try to dominate others inappropriately or selfish, uh, selfish acts? Everybody isn't selfless. Many of us are selfish. So if we could take a, a, a version of what you've asked and just have everybody take a minute to please address that and then follow on individually after we break. Well, I, I, I don't think I have an answer to the question as you worded. I think that is the problem uh, that we are trying to address. You know, how do we balance the desire for control over our lives uh, with the restraint required to respect the rights of others? How do we negotiate when our rights or our needs conflict with somebody else's? Well, I, I, that's the issue. And, and um, I don't have a short-term answer. I mean, I think all these um, outfits that um, teach negotiating skills uh, are, are a step in the right direction, uh, in education in general. But I think education has to include this as an issue. That, that's a very difficult question. Um, you know, I, I don't consider myself a real spiritual person, but sometimes you have to kind of go back on some of that, whatever your feelings are. Uh, if it's Gandhi or Buddhist or whatever, your ethical issue, you have to kind of just fall back on that and just try to, I would say try to be not so much of yourself and look at others and just be selfless if that's possible. But again, that's, that's the hard part. Vivian, what are your thoughts here? We haven't touched on the power of the family uh, where the child is loved by parents who have enough money to live on and uh, are secure as a family, where there are family supports in the society to help the parents and the child, where the child is loved and treated with respect, it's much easier to teach the child to respect the rights of others. Um, many of us are controlling our aggression, don't believe in getting a gun and going out and shooting the neighbor whom we're angry with. Uh, we have young men and women who are conscientious objectors, controlling aggression, controlling feelings, refusing to kill. Uh, I think it's along those lines. What happens to that young child? Mike, any thoughts here? I was going to say exactly what Vivian said, that we had not touched on the power of the family, and um, I can't say it any better than she did. Well, I wanted to, uh, wanted to uh, have a round of applause for the fabulous panelists.
and uh, I wanted to thank, uh, thank all of you for coming. The food was excellent. Um, I, I wanted to brag a bit. There's a new, uh, sometimes people say, I'll brag about two things. Sometimes people say, when you're a vegetarian, what do you eat? And I don't know if anybody saw the article in the News and Observer last Sunday. They did a great article about actually my blog. And I've known my wife more than four years. And I've never repeated a dinner. It's all vegan. So being vegetarian, if you, if you move in that direction, it's easy.